What if you woke up one morning and you found out that you had a superpower? Right? Would that be awesome? Some of you would pick flying. Some of you would pick, you know, being able to move objects. I'd pick hibernation. Like, as my, like just three months, you know, done. They wake me up. I'm like this big, you know, okay, you know, right? That's what I'd pick for my superpower. But, you know, I don't know if you ever saw Spider-Man. But in Spider-Man, like, these, these, that was from the TV show Heroes, by the way, which I've actually never seen, uh, cause I, I, but I hear it's for good, so check it out, I guess. But uh, I love the process of the person just finding out they have, a, they have like, a, a superpower, and they're trying to use it, and they don't really know how, and they break stuff, and all this kind of stuff happens by accident, and they begin to hone their skills. I would love a superpower. Just anything. I don't even care. Being able to grow my nails long by command. I don't care. Whatever it is, right? Just just a superpower. What I want to submit to you this morning is that everybody here has a superpower. Everyone here has a supernatural ability to heal. That girl you saw that went into the building, you know, and the, the fire and... You know, she could repair her own tissue and all that kind of stuff. You have that ability. You have the ability to heal yourself. And the superpower is called forgiveness. And it's a superpower. It doesn't happen. For months we've been talking about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the earth, of this earth. And on this kingdom, through this lens, as we get injured by people, we try to muster up the power and we can't do it. But if we can have this power to where we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have access to that superpower of forgiveness. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Forgiveness. As a matter of fact, we're back to our memory verses again. Okay, I promise that we take a little break just so you guys could get caught up. And one of the things that I've changed in this section of memory verses is they're a lot shorter, okay? Like we were doing like Genesis chapters 1 through 9. Okay, we're going to kind of, we're going to tone it down just a bit, okay? I realize I'm an overachiever, okay? We're going to tone it down. Here, here's our next memory verse, and it goes right along the lines of what we're talking about. Matthew, we're going to say it together. Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, ladies, just the ladies. Ready? Go. Matthew 5. Love it. And I, I even tricked you guys out there a little bit, didn't I? Okay, let's try it again. Ladies, Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those All right, men, Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you. Oh, you guys are, isn't it men? You know, men, you just heard it like 700 times. Here we go. Go. Matthew 5, 44. Golly. You know what? 
Jeez. All right. We're in Matthew chapter 18. We've been going through the book of Matthew. And what I want to show you this morning is how Jesus talks about this idea of having a superpower. He gives a story of someone who had access to their superpower and didn't use it. It's found in Matthew uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And just to give you a little bit of heads up of, of where we've come from, last week we talked about church discipline. It was fantastic. Everyone felt encouraged and probably didn't want to come back. But we talked about what happens when a so-called brother and sister is caught in a sin, how we gently go, we, we kind of confront them. If they don't ask for forgiveness, we take two more. If they don't ask for forgiveness, we tell it to the church. Yes, we do. And if they don't ask for forgiveness, we kick them out. And you go, man, that's really harsh. It is, but we talked about that person having this much value. So Peter stands up and he goes, because he knows if you go through this process, okay, settle down. He knows if we go through this process, people are going to ask for forgiveness. This is just a natural thing. If, if you're caught in a sin and I come to you and say, hey, you need to ask for forgiveness. You, know, you need to confess this. And then I bring two people and the Holy Spirit's working on you. A lot of people are going to, they won't have to go through the whole process of church discipline. It rarely, rarely happens. So Peter asked the natural question. Well, how many times do we forgive them? And he picks a number that in this kingdom makes a lot of sense. And people put words in Peter's mouth like he was trying to be, you know, more spiritual than everyone else. It was probably a legitimate question. How many times should we forgive everybody? Seven? That sounds good to me. Seven's good. I don't know about you, but seven's about my limit, right? And Jesus says, dude, you have a superpower. Did you know you have a superpower? And that's where we are. We're in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse uh, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I uh, forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to s- the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. By the way, you don't don't ever want to be called in by God, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Just a little side note there. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In his anger, the master, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how, now check this out. This is such a bummer verse here. You know, I love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love those. He's going to bless me, shaken together, pressed down, overflowing. Love that. Don't necessarily like this one that's coming. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you, you forgive your brother from your heart. 
torture? Jailers? I mean, how about a little, you know, don't ever do that again, right? That's the kind of discipline I like. This is a very harsh word. But here's the thing. This story is very important for us to understand the importance of forgiveness. And what I'm going to do this morning, I mean, we could talk about forgiveness for six weeks, have a whole six-week series. I'm going to try and jam-pack one in one sermon, try to knock out as much as we can. I've, I've divided it into four sections to help us kind of understand this. And, and we'll go through this parable and uh, talk a little bit how each one fits in. The first is, know your position. If you are going to be a person who forgives, if you're going to be a person who lets go, this is the most important point of the whole thing. Know that you are a sinner. Know that you have racked up a huge kingdom debt. See, what happened with this servant, it's not a slave the way you and I would think of a slave. It's not like he just sweeps the palace and started borrowing money from the king. Okay, hey, can I borrow 500 talents? Oh, cool, thanks, man. Can I borrow 500 more talents? That's not the kind of debt we're talking about here. This slave, this servant, was most likely in charge of some part of the kingdom. Just like you and I are in charge of some part of the kingdom. Okay? And, and, and so what happens is this guy, he's got access to kingdom resources. And he squanders them away. Because he doesn't have 10,000 talents. Let me give you an idea of how much 10,000 talents is. A lot. Okay? He cannot pay this back. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, they don't have a number higher than 10,000. So when somebody uses the word 10,000, it's like saying a zillion. Okay? But if you were to take the literal that he literally owed him, 10,000 talents, this is, let me, let's try and wrap our heads around it. When the Romans collected taxes, uh, we have historical documents of records of how much they collected. And in the area of Judea, and Samaria, they collected 600 talents in a year of, of taxes. So you imagine that huge region. They went and collected all their taxes, which the people of, of uh, the Jews hated. They got all that, and it equaled 600 talents. This is 10,000 talents. 10, there's no way. It might as well be a billion, trillion, zillion, zillion dollars. Okay? There's no way this, and especially a slave. It's not like he's making serious bank. He's like, you know, the guy makes like a million dollars a year or whatever. He's a servant. So there's no way he's going to pay. And the first and most important thing we have to understand when it comes to forgiveness is you have racked up and I have racked up some kingdom debt that we cannot pay. You know who understood this was Paul. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul says this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I lo- That's so cool. I need to start talking like that. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And you say, Paul was the worst? I doubt it. He was writing the Bible at the time he wrote this. Okay, so I, if it were me and I got picked to write the Bible... I'd probably say I'm not as worse a sinner as you are, okay? I'd put myself on a little higher plane, okay? But this is Paul. He understood. He's writing the Bible as, as he speaks here, and he's saying, I'm the worst. Why? Because he was in touch with his debt. 
He understood the kingdom impact he had with his sin, the separation from God, the, the fact that he could not pay. It's very important. He says this, I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. The master showed me mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. How are you an example? By forgiving, by understanding you are the worst. You say, boy, this is really depressing. Yes, and it even gets more depressing. So stay in there, okay? Right? Jesus was all over this kind of attitude where people didn't understand how depraved they were. Matter of fact, he, he, he told a parable of a Pharisee who went out and said, went and praying, and he said, oh, Lord, I, I'm so glad I'm, I'm not as bad as this person. Right? Watch this. It's in uh, Luke chapter 18. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So the, the bill comes in the mail, the kingdom bill, and he, it comes to the Pharisee and he says, hmm, let's see, I owe 17 billion, kazillion, quadrillion dollars. Well, I tithe, so that probably covers most of it. That's what he says. Totally disconnected from his sin. This is why Jesus, we've been going through Matthew, this is why Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say don't even look on a woman. That's going to cost you 15 million kingdom dollars right there. Right? It's expensive. Sin is expensive. Don't even do the littlest thing. It's too expensive for you. You can't pay it back. Really important that we understand this message. Okay? So what happens is, the, 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 the um, servant comes in and the account needs to be settled. Now, listen, guys, we're, I, I, there's too many verses for me to go over. But this isn't just salvation. We're going to see that this parable is for Christians. OK, so it's not just he's 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 getting saved. Now, he might be at this point. But the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit is settling accounts with us all the time. Wants to see, how's it going? And we say, Lord, I sinned again. He goes, okay, you know what? Let's see, that's, um, that's uh, 17 million uh, sin dollars. Uh, and Jesus paid that for you, so you're good to go. Oh, thank you. We're back in touch. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Next time, hey, Lord, I sinned again. And hey, look down. Okay, 25 billion sin dollars, what you got? Uh, I got Jesus. Great, good enough. Okay, he's settling our account all the time, Okay. Know your position. Number two, know the precedent, okay? A precedent is just something that was set before, an example. Um, you know, we, we talk in terms of law that uh, will go before a judge. There'll be a judge and they'll try a case and the judge will rule and that will set precedent so that when it happens again, other judges know, okay, he set precedent and this is how it goes. Now listen, God, the ultimate judge, has set a precedent of forgiveness through Jesus Christ on the cross. So when we have an issue come up in our own life, and they might be serious, something that somebody really does to us, we go, well, what's the case law on this? And we go, well, Jesus versus the world already ruled on this, and I'm to forgive them. That's the penalty. There's, there is no penalty. I, I forgive them. That's the precedent that Jesus set. 
And so you'll see, I'm just going to put two verses here, but there's many, many, many. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Because there was a precedent set. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. In Jesus versus the world, they've set a precedent and it's forgiveness. Okay, you'll see it in Colossians as well. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He set a precedent. And so in the story, this master, this king, sets a precedent. I'm going to forgive you of something you cannot repay. So when you are wronged, you can come to this case law and see how we rule. Now, what happens in unforgiveness is we get wronged. We go to case law and we say, okay, Jesus forgave me. But you know what? He didn't experience anything like what I, what I got. He doesn't understand. This is a whole different case, a whole different set of criteria. That king judged unwisely. I know better. I have a different verdict. It's a wiser verdict. That's what we say when we don't forgive. We say, you know what, what you experienced? Yeah, that was bad. But what she did to me, you've never experienced anything like that. That's what we're saying. Right. So we we have to understand that there's been a precedent set. Right. Now, how how is that precedent? What what are the criteria of forgiveness? If we're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave us, like what did that look like? I'll tell you what it looked like. What it looked like was Jesus essentially having everything done to him and he didn't do anything. Do you guys ever speak in emotionally unhealthy language by saying, well, they never do this. And I always do that. I'm sure you guys don't. It's a very mature church. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone here speak in terms like that. But out in some other churches, I won't name them because there's, you know, know, okay, okay. They talk like that. It's very bad. Okay, but no, we've all done it, right? We've all done it. We've all just, yeah, I, oh, you know, I'm, I always show up on time and they never show up on time. You know, we say things like that. You know, it's, and then the psychologist or the, the doctor of psychology says, you know, we don't talk in terms like that, okay? And we get reprimanded. Jesus could. <laughs> he could actually say that. I always do the right thing. They never do the right thing. And the, the doctor's like, yeah, I got nothing for you. That's basically how it goes right so in the midst of doing everything right of never doing anything to anybody and then taking on all of what everybody did to everybody else right in the midst of that he says this in luke he says but jesus was saying father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing and they cast lots dividing up his garments among themselves So he's dying, he's bloody, he's on the cross, he's taking everyone's guilt and shame, and he did nothing, and that's the precedent. That's how we're supposed to forgive. And you say, but you don't understand what I've gone through. I don't. I I don't even pretend to. And there's been hurts in our lives that go very deep, very evil, evil things happening. And I don't know. But God does. He knows He knows exactly what you're going through. And he's given you a superpower to deal with it. And it's forgiveness. And you say, but I I can't forgive them for what they did. Let me me tell you something. You can. 
And we could go down the line of the most horrid. They could take your whole family and kill them and torture you and tie you up and do whatever, all the most horrible things. And you have the superpower capability of being able to forgive that. Now, it's never that harsh. Usually it's just like they cut me off and I'm going to throw something at them or whatever, right? But some of us have gone through a very deep hurt. Now, one of the nice things about this parable is that other servant, he went out and he found a guy that owed him 100 denarii, okay? Now, that is a pretty good amount of money. So let's say you make about $24,000 a year, okay? First of all, go back to school and get a better job. But the second thing is we'll just use that as a figure, okay? You make $24,000 a year. It would mean that someone would owe you about eight grand. That's a lot of cash. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, uh, whatever happened to you is no big deal. Oh, he uses an example of they owe you a debt. They do. And listen, we have got all have people in our lives that did us some serious harm. Might be your parents, might be your kids, it might be your boss, might be your pastor at some other church. Man, (laughs) right? Okay, I'm just playing. Okay, right? There are very deep wounds. And you know what? A lot of times, the wounds that are the deepest are the ones we put on ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves. We made a mistake. We lost some money. We let that relationship go. We, 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 we sinned. And how can they ever forgive us? It's the same thing. God has given us that ability. But we have to know the precedent. He set a, he set a precedent for us. Number three, know the penalty. Know the penalty. What's a real bummer about unforgiveness is that there's a penalty to it. God disciplines us when we don't forgive. And I was talking to someone after first service, and it's like, but what do you mean he disciplines? I thought he loves, I thought nothing could separate us from the love of God. Unfortunately, that's true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Hebrews tell us that those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And you can imagine God has done the ultimate sacrifice. He's given us the model. He said, when I was down there, here's how I did it. And we go, yeah, not so much for me. And the Lord says, well, okay, but there's going to be some consequences. Now, what are those consequences? I'm just going to go through a few of them very quickly. The first is we allow Satan um, uh, dominion in our lives. We open what Ephesians calls, we allow a foothold. Okay, any that's any space designated. You know, this is Satan's little spot. I'm going to give him one little spot. The scriptures say, don't do that. And when we don't forgive, we open the gates wide. Okay, now, uh, Paul and his letter to uh, his second letter to the Corinthians, there was a guy that injured Paul and caused a lot of division in the church. And so they went through that church discipline process. And guess what? He was restored. Remember, that's what we said was the most important thing through church discipline. They're valuable, restore them. And this guy was. And so everyone's kind of like, well, what do we do? And Paul gives us uh, exactly what we do. In 2 Corinthians 2.10, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, see, Paul's already let it go. Like, if there was anything, there isn't anything to forgive. Why? Because we've already forgiven it. There's nothing else to forgive. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now listen, in order that Satan might not outwit us. See, when you decide in your heart, I'm going to forgive, there's somebody who has a vested interest in you not doing that. And it's the enemy. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he says, 
forgive them for what they did to you? They, oh, I don't know how you can do that. You know, you're, you got sick over that. You blah, blah, blah. You blah, blah, blah. And it says, we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul says, you better let it go. You better forgive or there's a penalty. I, I'll give you an example of kind of what it's like. We talk about holding a grudge. You know that term? You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we hold a grudge. So what does that look like? Well, a lot of times we think it's just something we maybe carry with us. You know, I'm holding this grudge or whatever. But that is not what happens with unforgiveness, which turns to bitterness and then resentment. What it is, the grudge is a, is a post that's driven into the ground. It's there. It ain't moving. And there's a little handle on it. It says, actually, on the post, it says grudge. So you can, you'll know when you see it. Okay? Hello? All right. Okay. Right? And so there's a little handle on it. Now I'm holding a grudge. Okay? What they did to me, unacceptable. Now I'm moving forward in my life. Okay? Well, I don't care because I'm holding a grudge. I'll see you guys later. Well, I'll catch up to you later. You hold on and hold on and hold on and you remind and the enemy's right there just reminding you of everything. And then, you know what? Do you remember when he said that? Do you remember when she said that? And you grab tighter and tighter and tighter and you're stuck. When you hold a grudge, the penalty is your relationship with the Lord stops right there. And the Lord goes, whenever you want to let go, we'll move forward. But until then, there you go. And for some of you, there, you might have gotten over some great sins in your life. Maybe you, you measure your life like with the sin meter And you're like, you know, I've got these sins that are really bad. And you know what? I'm doing a lot better now. I'm doing real well spiritually, right? But remember what we said about spiritual debt? You got a zillion dollars. Hey, now I'm, I'm, I'm a billion less. Congratulations. And the Lord says, let go of the grudge. So we can move forward. And the Lord disciplines us. And that's the next thing I want to talk about. The Lord actually, remember we've been talking about for the last three weeks, sin separates us from God. Not eternally, if you're a believer, you know, you, you, you got your relationship with the Lord. And, but there's a sanctification process that the Lord, the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. We, we see this when we take communion. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to this Corinthian church. By the way, if you want to see the way not to do church, just read First and Second Corinthians. It's like a handbook on, on, on unhealthiness. Okay? So what was happening was the people were not respecting taking communion together. When we take communion, it, we, what we're saying is, I accept what this blood and his body did for me. I'm forgiven. I accept it. And when you do it and you don't really believe it, it's very dangerous. Okay? And so what was happening was people were just doing it out of just, well, whatever. So there was unforgiveness. There was all sorts of sin. And they were just doing it. Now watch what happens. Watch, these are Christians. Watch what happens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, he, he uh, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now watch. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep. Not during my sermon, right? That means you've died. Okay, it doesn't mean falling asleep. It's not just you take a little nappy. 
Like, what's so bad about that, right? Right? That was the superpower I wanted. No, you're dead. Sick, weak, dead. Physically, yes. There is a penalty for not being, and especially unforgiveness, because here's what you're saying when you take, when you take the cup and the bread. You say, Lord, I accept the sacrifice. I'm undeserving of it. I take it, Lord, and thank you for forgiving me. I confess my sins to you. Please forgive me. And then you go, but what they did to me, I'll never forgive. You are bringing judgment upon yourself. I'm bringing judgment upon myself when I do that because it cheapens what Christ did on the cross. It says, yeah, you need to forgive me because I didn't do anything to you, not what this guy did to me. There's a penalty. It's so much so, God, God, uh, it's so important to God. Watch this. In Matthew 5, 23, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift, man, we got a jam. Uh, Okay. I should have divided this up into two sermons. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, now watch, this is a very spiritual thing. You're offering your gift at the altar. It's a relationship with God. Awesome. And there, right there, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. In other words, he's saying, I don't want your worship. I don't want you raising your hands, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're harboring this bitterness in you. Leave it. Stop. Your offering does nothing to mend our relationship. Your confession of sin and your ability to make it right, that's what mends our relationship. So then when you come back and you give that gift, man, the Lord's blessing it. And there's relationship there. And he's going, yeah, this is exactly what I want. You use that superpower and now I can fill you with my spirit and we can move forward. You're not stuck at the grudge. We're moving forward, exercising your gifts and doing damage for the kingdom of God. You see that? You see that? Okay, good. I'll give you an example. Um, I have a son, Jesse, and uh, he had a finger that was infected. I didn't tell you I was going to tell this story, so sorry. But, well, wait till I finish. Okay, so uh, a, a finger got infected. Um, and, and have you ever had a finger that's infected and it's big and you can actually feel it throb? Have you ever, it's just like, doom. And if you even touch it, I mean, just just a tiny bit, it hurts, right? Because there's all sorts of nasty stuff in there, pus and all sorts of growth. It's it's sick. It's a mess. It's a mess. It festers in there, and right? And then you touch it, and oh, God, it's gross. It's like even talking about it, I want to spit. I want to just, this is gross, right? Get some Purell on my hands, get all clean. It's nasty, right? This is what unforgiveness is like. It festers and it and, and you don't even want to hear the person's name. I don't know. You know, it just it just becomes this big thing. And all you have to do is hit it with a pin and squeeze all the pussy stuff out. And it's bloody and pussy and messy. So we don't want to do that. And you'll see, like I experienced this week. Okay, go ahead. No, don't do it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be messy. And this is what, this is the problem with unforgiveness. It's going to hurt. Yes. It's going to be messy. Yes. But it'll be over. And then you can move forward in your life and you can whack it on all sorts of stuff and you can go on. That's the point. We don't want the print 
pinprick. We don't want the gooey, mussy, gross stuff. We have to, to be free. Last one. Know the process. What's the process? Well, if you look in Matthew chapter 18, verse 27, the king gives the process of how we get past this. Where am I? Verse 27. Get a pastor who knows how to read his Bible. Okay. The servant's master took pity on him. Let's put this here. Yeah, the servant's master. This is what he did. He did a threefold thing. One, he took pity on him. Now listen, if you're connected with your position, that you're a sinner, you will have pity on those who hurt you. If you don't, if you think you're holier than now, you don't have pity on them because they should know better because of this. But they're earthen vessels just like you. Listen, guys, honestly, please hear me on this. If your expectation is that you're going to go through life and not get injured by people, if, if, you're, if your hope is that, you know, from now on, I'm going to protect myself, because that's what happens. We become isolated. It's another penalty, right? I'm not going to get hurt anymore. If, you, if that's your goal, if that's what your expectation is, you're stupid. <laughs> See, you have to forgive me for that, right? It's not going to happen. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be injured. I'm going to do it, probably. I probably just did. Right there. I probably hurt your feelings. It's stupid. We're not even allowed to say that at the house, right? Which we're not, but I forgot my son was here. So <laughs> now I got some explaining to do. All right. So, so you're going to get injured. Your spouse is going to do it. Your parents are going to do it. Your kids are going to do it. Your boss is going to do it. It's going to happen. And some of it's going to be really, really, really bad. Okay, but when we're connected and we know, you know what? I know, just like Jesus, he looked over the crowds, compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. I'm connected with my position. I know it. Look, I've done it to Jesus. They're going to do it to me. It even says in Matthew, blessed are when people persecute you. It's going to happen. We've got to be able to take pity. Number two, we cancel the debt. You don't owe me anything. You left our family with the secretary and you took all my kids and now I'm here alone. You, I owe you, not, you owe me nothing for that. You got it? You cancel the debt. I lived 30 years with you. I gave you the best of everything I had and you ran off. Canceled. The bill comes in, Zero. You took that job away from me. It was going to be everything. You told me to invest in that. You swindled me. You cheated me. Canceled. Why? Because God forgave us. And we walk in that joy. It's very difficult, guys. Sometimes this is a process. But if you want the Lord's help, you've got to humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me for my unforgiveness. I I want to release this. And he will help you. Cancel the debt. And number three, as the worship band returns, He let him go. And sometimes that's the hardest thing, to let them go. Has has anyone ever done anything to you, like years ago, and their name came back up again, like 10 years later, and like you found out something bad happened to them, and you're like, get that feeling like, yeah, yeah. You never let them go. 
You never let it go. You'd forgotten about it. You'd forgiven him, sure. But then when you hear like, oh, his wife left him. I knew it. I, you know, that would happen. Because you know what? He's, he's like that. I'll bet you couldn't stand it any longer. You can't just let him go. I mean, imagine what your life would be like. Now listen. Imagine what your life would be like if your spouse left with the, like in my case. Okay, my wife leaves with the postman. Well, we have a postwoman, so... Well, okay. So the, my wife, my wife leaves with the butcher. Okay, he leaves with the butcher. Takes all my kids. Right now, imagine what kind of life I'd be living if years down the road I found out that they just bought a really nice house and everything, and I was happy for them. And you go, man, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Christ's love, superpower. Forgive, being able to forgive at that level. It is possible. It's possible. And you go, Lord, because why? We're getting our strength from him. See, I want to read one last thing out of this. It says, very last thing. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We just read about it, right? When a part of our heart is hardened towards somebody else, we cannot fulfill that command. You cannot love God and hate your brother. You cannot. 